Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers for Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my usual co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Uh, I did things we can't talk about this weekend. Oh, okay. A war, a war in the stars type thing. So let's just move on. Let's go oh, talk to Joe. Okay, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and introduce our other co-host then. <laughs> he's our shaman specialist, but he's also a lore aficionado as well, as he's proven over however many. What episode are we on with Lore Watch? I don't even remember. I'm gonna have to look at it when I go do the editing. Anyway, Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello everybody. How you doing? I'm doing quite all right. I spent my my week knee deep in in green stuff putty, which is a lot less exciting than it sounds. I don't know what that it's, is, but it sounds like a, fun. It's the sculpting material. It's a two part epoxy putty that is used as sculpting material for miniatures. Oh, okay. Um, I, I will let. Uh, this is sort of a, a cool little thing. I'm working on creating my own chess set. Um, cool. And I'm going to be making molds for it so that I can actually resin cast them. So they might, I don't know, I haven't decided if I'll make them available to the public yet. But I'm working on uh, some cool themed chess pieces because, well, I'm a nerd. I have some sculpt epoxy that I have to work with. I have to finish the ears for uh, the ball jointed doll that I'm working on. One side of her ears is done. The other side still needs to be constructed. So, yeah, sculpting is going on. <laughs> um, I, I once successfully almost killed myself with some silly body. Well, that's... A wild uh, tale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know somebody who crafted a uh, a hammer out of like five pounds of putty and then hit a desk with it and it wound up bouncing back and hitting them a smack dab in the forehead and gave himself a concussion. I mean, oh my gosh, uh, I was two and I just swallowed it. Oh, okay. Oh. See, yeah. <laughs> See, the tale wasn't as exciting as tales like you know the time I dug a trench, filled it with gasoline, and tried to jump my dirt bike over it. I swallowed you know, like a dime boring. when I was four, but I didn't choke on it or anything. I just ate it. <laughs> the weird thing about silly putty is it didn't choke me or anything. It just it formed a seal around my throat. Yeah, it just stays there because it conforms. Uh, yeah, but luckily for me, small children breathe a lot out of their noses, so I lived. Well, that's yeah. Moral of the story: Don't let your children have silly putty. I guess, uh, or, or only or under if, supervision. If there is silly putty in the house, don't leave it within reach of a two-year-old because th- then they will find a way to get it. There you go. Two-year-olds. I don't think they I have ever, a homey I don't think I ever like wanted to eat the silly putty. It was always Play-Doh because Play-Doh smelled good. So it was like, oh yeah, this smells great. I'd like to eat this. And then you go to take a bite of it, and it's really salty and kind of gross. <laughs> it does not bake into anything good, guys. No, it does not. <laughs> None of this has anything to do with lore, but that's okay. No. So today, today, for our recording day anyway, I know people listening to this are going to be listening to this uh, on the website for a week from now. However, it's December 31st, and it's the last day of 2017, which is kind of nice. We're ushering out the year. We're going to usher in the new year. Um, and I thought it was kind of appropriate this week that maybe we go ahead and just talk about 2017 kind of in review and the lore that came out during 2017 for each of Blizzard's franchises. I know that primarily on this show, we talk a lot of World of Warcraft. I mean, there's we talk a lot of World of Warcraft. Most of what we talk about is World of Warcraft. However, Blizzard's other IPs do have lore involved with them. Some more than others, some a little less this year than the year previous. Um, and I and I feel like, like I said, this is kind of, it's a lore broadcast. We're supposed to be talking about lore in all of the games that Blizzard puts out there. 
it's just we do focus on World of Warcraft a lot. So what I want to do is I kind of want to look at each game in turn and and see what you guys think of 2017 and what came out in 2017 and also what you'd like to see in 2018 because why not? It's the last day of the year. Let's have some fun. Um, with that in mind, let's just go ahead and start with World of Warcraft because that's like the main focus. What do you guys think about what we saw in 2017 out of World of Warcraft? I really wish they'd done something. I mean, it's been a really boring year. Not much happened. <laughs> no, I think um, I think we, the beginning of the year, um, when we just actually just before 2017, when we were talking about when Legion launched, uh, something you had said was that they had basically put out the equivalent of like 36 class quests, and these weren't quests; they were like class quest chains, um, like the old days when they had a uh, Anathema Benediction quest. Yeah. But instead of that. 36 of them and all about 10 times as long it was, uh, that was every class every spec yeah and that's how they opened it and that's just the opening and you know i'm not even talking about the the class order hall campaigns or the the broken shore stuff or you know argus there was there's a lot this year this was a you know it's hard to not sound like you're using superlatives or being like overly effusive but i cannot think of a one-year period in World of Warcraft's history that had more lore development than this period. I feel like, just to dial it back here and give you guys a refresher, 2017, uh, what we saw at the beginning of 2017 was the arrival of Nighthold. That raid finally came out, um, and I believe it was either the 14th or the 17th of January that that one came out. Um, And then shortly after that, obviously, we kept right along with this whole 77-day patch cycle where every 77 days we got something new um which was pretty extraordinary for blizzard because they don't pace things like that this is this no. is new for them so the last time they did anything even close to this was miss of pandaria but miss of pandaria did not have that feeling of control like they it felt like they were just shotgun blasting us with patches whereas this time it felt like they learned the lesson of miss of pandaria and they've very carefully not only had the 77 day patch cycle which wasn't always 77 days sometimes it was a little more a little less but not only did they do that but even when they did put out a patch they didn't dump everything on you right away um i mean i don't know like joe you you've noticed this like with argus they didn't give you all of argus at once yeah i mean it it, it's sort of and, I, and I've heard people complain about this as well, but I really like it. I think I think pacing is key. And I think they've sort of figured out their pacing or at least are closer to it. So, like, yes, they didn't give you all of Argus at once. Uh, and it was a, a slower bit of a trickle uh, than I think people expected. But it worked. And it worked in such a way that, like, there were story beats. There was questing. There was a, a lot of meat available in each of those sort of uh lead up weeks and like you said i think they've learned their lesson um not just from you know warlords of draenor but from beyond where you take sort of a look at it and you look at how just everything has evolved from classic to now and you just see how patches were how story was how even raid releases were how everything has sort of matured over the years and Legion seems like almost like a culmination of all of that, those lessons learned. And, and not just in-game either. Out of game, uh, like I, I know that story-wise, short stories, I think Mr. Pandaria had the biggest bulk of short stories. Cataclysm um, and Mr. Pandaria, yes. Yeah. So 
that and then we hit warlords and it was kind of we got maybe three stories i think something like that like it wasn't that many uh and even now we we didn't get too many like stories but what we got were impactful like when you look at dark mirror and and dark mirror was was massively impactful to not just events in the game but like when you start looking at some of the books and some of the the stories that revolve around these characters and things start to fall in place and then we had the audio dramas which were huge at least to me they were huge um because you had yes you had the tomb of sargeras uh which that was great but then you had a thousand years of war which not only was a fantastic uh, audio drama uh, even if you didn't or couldn't listen to it it was also a fantastic read but it filled in gaps and it filled in gaps that had been around forever and it brought sort of all these loose threads from 10 years plus of this of the game story uh almost 20 years at this point i think with, with illyria and, and and uh god why can't i remember his name now Terralion. Terralion, thank you i just wanted to call him light boy um <laughs> light but, boy because that's it's, well that's a whole other thing but they tied up these these loose ends that have been there forever with these characters and at least brought them back into the mainstream story. And they did so in a way that felt, it almost felt organic. Like it wasn't just, Oh, here's these people that you've just been missing forever. Uh, they've been over here in the shadows. Yeah, no, look over here. It was no, here's what's been going on. Here's the story. Here's how their characters have evolved. And now those, those choices are going to have impact going forward. And let me interrupt here. Um, just to pose a question to the two of you. Um, obviously, we've been waiting for Alaria and Teralion to reappear for pretty much the entirety of World of Warcraft. Like, ever since we saw the statues in the front gates of Stormwind. Heck, ever since they disappeared back in uh, Beyond the Dark Portal. Like, nobody knew where they went. Burning Crusade, everybody was like, well, where's where's Alaria and Teralion? Because, you know, Kurdrin is here and, and Khadgar is here. Where are those two? And we had no explanation. And that sto- that question carried forward through every expansion since then. Oh, yeah. To the point where it became a loading screen tip. This is said that they hadn't been seen in, in years. And, and that was it. It just left it at that. Do you guys feel that with Legion this year and with the Argus patch and with the whole Army of the Light thing, all that other stuff, do you guys feel like the return of Alaria and Teralion was handled appropriate? Like, were you happy with how, how they made their return? I was. Like, I mean, I, it, sorry, go ahead. Nancy. No, I've, I've got, like, a really complicated feeling about this that goes back to the fact, like, you remember, like you just mentioned back in Burning Crusade when we, we met Arator. Right. We'd been waiting and, for so long. And uh I don't feel that they did a bad job at all. Like I, I think the the radio play was very good. Um I think that in general the storyline has been handled well. But I do wonder if anything was ever gonna match up to the amount of build up that this had. Like and the thing is is that this is something that we're gonna see moving forward. They have a presence going forward after this this isn't the the end of their their story by any stretch of the imagination them coming back is changing things we're going to see the effect of it so i feel like we don't really know yet if it was handled well we know that it's been handled well so far and i'm certainly happy I'm just with talking it. about in terms of their reappearance like them I, showing up again us like, meeting them again do you think that that was handled correctly? i feel like that i feel like that you know again short of 
them showing up and saving me in a cinematic, that was about as good as it was going to get. And I, I did I like... Shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't say correctly. I'm going to correct myself here before everybody listening corrects it for me. I should say, were you happy with the way it was handled, with the way that they made their return? That's do you what remember I'm... the moment? Do you remember the moment when you first actually see Tyrellian on Argus? Yes. That, I think, really worked. Um, I feel like Alaria maybe didn't get quite as much, but I did like when I finally caught up with her. Um, and went through the whole bit with the sh- the sh- Nexus Reaver, not Nexus Reaver. Oh God, I can't remember his name. Uh, Nexus Locus Walker. Walker. Walker, Locus Walker. Yes. Yeah. See, I could want keep wanting to go back to the Nexus Princess. Anyway, um, so you you go through that whole bit and you get to see more and you see you run the dungeon and see her choice and how she makes it. That was really well done. That dungeon is very good. Uh, so, am I happy with it? Yes, but I do definitely feel like there's more coming. I don't feel like this is done. And, and that's what I like about it. Like, and that, that's, and that's kind of where I was going to go with it. Like, I, I like what they did as far as reintroducing them and bringing them back into the mainstream, but that's the key, bringing them back into the mainstream. We've lost a lot of important NPCs over the years. So introducing back into the main story, two characters that are so central to so many other events that have happened in the past and are very clearly going to be central to events going on moving forward it's kind of uh, an important thing that that how they were introduced wasn't in such a like a an all or nothing glory moment in which they died right it, it was it was not as grand as i think people expected but i kind of like that i kind of like that you know here they were this entire time fighting their war doing things that their characters would very clearly be doing at least the way that i feel that they were defined in the past they've been all about fighting this war and saving azeroth forever and, and man now they're continuing it. that on yeah, I got to say, you know, Rossi mentioned it, that that first moment that you run into Turalyon on Argus, where you, Velen and the leader of the Krokul, they're, they're like having their little stand standoff, face-off moment where he's like, well, where were you? And Velen's like, look, I wanted to come back. I could, you know, they're having this little like argument or whatever. And then the voice pops up and tells him to cut it out. And he just steps out of the shadows. And I, I made inhuman noises when he did (laughs) i I mean i also like that moment too like and that's something i want to talk about because i have a a weird personal investment in it the broken actually mattered again oh yeah and and that's something that we haven't seen almost in forever like even burning crusade it wasn't about the broken it was about the bundu it was about Nabundu as the only broken that mattered and the rest of them were just sort of there. That short story, and, that short story with Nobundu, the unbroken short story, that was, that's yes. still one of my favorites ever. And I do appreciate that we have another faction of broken Draenei that they weren't, it, it's not the same thing. They didn't get the whole red pox, red mist, whatever. They were just on Argus while Argus was actively deteriorating and being run over by the Burning Legion. But the same thing happened to them. So... I kind of yeah I appreciate that that they were kind of brought into the highlight like spotlight again a little bit mm-hmm. um Velen I think Velen made some major steps this year and maybe not all of them quite as expected how do you guys feel about Velen and how he's progressed as a character in 2017 like from Nighthold onward I feel he actually evolved which is something that he wasn't doing in the past like there's more depth to him than just I'm a prophet of the light and the light knows best and I'm going to do whatever the light tells me to do. He's he's for lack of a better term grown up 
and I like that. It's an interesting thing about if you like go and like look over all the stuff about Velen. Um, basically, through Chronicle one and two, and through like reading the the leader short story and so forth, you get a picture of somebody who we have never known him at his full capacity. From the moment you meet Velen, he has been on the back foot, um, recovering from injuries from the crash of the of the Draenei vessel onto Ar- onto Draenor. He's been essentially half blind. His his prophecies have been not working properly. He couldn't see the future clearly, and that started him on a spiral of doubt and not knowing what to do. That allowed the destruction of his people. Like he he was on the back foot, and then of course his people were like fleeing, and he you know he spent this entire time basically up until Anduin of all people basically said stop trying to get it back. Stop trying to figure out what the future is. Look at now. Now needs you. The future will be there when we get to it. But now, right now, your people need you. These people need you. And that's the beginning of what this expansion showed us. That's the moment where he starts to come out and say, yeah, you're right. I need to focus on on now. But this is the expansion where there's that great moment in the in the final cinematic for Antorus when and I, I can we do we can talk about that right yeah we can talk about it. it's been out long enough that i'm sure that people okay. have seen it if you're avoiding any spoilers for Antorus, you might want to you know blip forward five ten minutes or so yeah but there's that moment where uh felon and, and illidan are speaking after everything has basically happened and he's like you know what no nothing the light didn't tell you what to do this time prophet and he's like we we made this happen you know, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's like, you know, this was our doing. You know, you you did this. I did this. And that's Velen now. Fate had no hand in this. Yeah. Something like had, that. Yeah, something like that. It, it's like, you know, it's it's what we do. It's what we have done that, that made this happen. I really liked the Illidan-Velen dynamic. I know people don't like Illidan and they're just never going to. And they're not never going to actually bother to look at the story. Some people just won't. And that's fine. But this expansion did something for Illidan. It didn't make him any nicer or any more of a like heroic figure we'll in the sense of We'll get to Illidan being... in a minute because yeah. I do want to talk about him too, but let's go back to Velen. The, the play between the two characters is what really defined Velen for me this time. You get that... Do you guys remember when we did... like We all discovered that little uh, scenario kind of just... So almost accidentally... Like you're on level 102, 103, and you you go to Dalaran, and and Cadgar's like, hey, go get this thing, and the next thing you know, you're involved in all this stuff, and you go to the and, Exodar and all that stuff. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. yeah. That's when you start to see that Velen really isn't who you thought he was. That the person you thought he was—that's part of him. That's an aspect of his personality. But there's a lot more going on in there, and that to me—that's what you got to focus on for Velen. Yeah, what I appreciate about Velen is that when he was introduced back in Burning Crusade, like when we first met Velen and we went through all the stuff and we ended up on, um, in uh, and I want to call it Tempest Keep, and it's not the Sunwell. We ended up in the Sunwell, and at the end of it, Velen strides in and he reignites the Sunwell and he has all these grand words to say. And he was always, like from moment one, this otherworldly ethereal presence that you didn't quite understand like he was very decidedly other and ancient like beyond imagining ancient and had been dealing with all of this for so long and I feel like warlords and (laughs) I don't I don't 
necessarily have positive things to say about Warlords of Draenor very often, but I do in this instance. Warlords showed us it was a different Velen, yes, it was a Velen who sacrificed himself, but prior to that, it showed us a Velen who had this spark of humanity about him, this spark of relatable humanity about him, that our Velen was lacking. And it also highlighted just what Velen is capable of, because in that moment of sacrifice, he didn't even flinch. He just did what had to be done. And it was like, well, if this Velen can do that, then what is our Velen capable of? And this was all, you know, post that story, that prophet, prophet's lessons short story, where we started to see Velen come out of his shell. But I feel like this year in particular, from, you know, we saw the first spark of it in that scenario that you mentioned, Rossi. But beyond that, his journey to Argus, his interactions with Illidan, his presence on the broken shore like everything that he has done so far it's been giving him much more of a sense of relatable humanity it's like he's he's gone from otherworldly to relatable and i kind of appreciate that because velen wasn't really the easiest person to relate to like how do you relate to a character that's that old how do you relate to a character that has seen that much well you kind of go back in their past and you show just what they've seen and how they're dealing with it this far in the future. And I think that they did a really good job of diving into that without getting too much into the grim dark. Like there were moments of sadness, but he seemed to be moving past them. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe not. I don't. Maybe not moving past them, but learning from them instead of wallowing in them. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Like he, he, he basically he comes out of that scenario angry. Like, but it's not an anger that he just lashes out with. It's not an anger. Like, it's a very you, decisive kind of controlled, fueled sort of thing. Well, when you do Tumas Argaris and you see the final fight and you see the final interaction between Velen and Kil Kiljaden, who Kiljaden is the dude who who took his son. Kiljaden is the one who corrupted his son over the course of like you know twenty thousand years to hate his father and destroy everything he cared about and then unleashed him on him which you know goes to show you you kill jaden is not a dude who like lets things go um velen still i mean it, he it feels like velen still listened like he didn't just say no you must die he still treated this person like you know yes i'm going to stop you because you need to be stopped but you know there there didn't seem to be a lot of hate there and in his final moments, in Kiljaden's final moments, Velen, like, delivered one last blessing and kind of forgave him, even though he didn't need to. I mean, he definitely didn't need to. Are you kidding yeah, me? After no, everything he... that Kiljaden had done to the Draenei over however many thousands of years, but it was like Velen got that moment of closure, and he could have approached it from... He could have approached it from the angle of vengeance, or he could have approached it from the angle of forgiveness, and he went the other way. Um, whereas someone like Illidan, all about vengeance. So let's talk about Illidan, because <laughs> you started to, Rossi, and I want to let you get into that, too. Um, Illidan, in Nighthold, we finally confront Gul'dan. We get to the end of everything, and it looks like he's trying to use... Stormrage's body to house the essence of Sargeras or whatever it is he's doing. We stop him and Illidan is resurrected. He comes back to life. He basically murders the heck out of Gul'dan, which was immensely satisfying to watch. And he also, you know, crushed the skull, or 
made sure that there is no way we're going to see Gul'dan again. <laughs> I think he's done. He's like toast. He's beyond toast, which is kind of a pity because he was an excellent villain while he lasted. But that's okay. That's okay. Will, we can do with There him. will be no second skull of Gul'dan in five years. No, no, it's it's gone. It's all gone now. Um, and what we were left with was Illidan, who I kind of appreciated seeing again. And the reason I appreciated seeing him again is because I feel like in Burning Crusade, he never really got a fair shake. We never really got to see what he was up to. We never got to see any of that story. We just showed up at Black Temple and we killed him. And it was kind of less than satisfying. I mean, it was satisfying because woohoo, we beat the Black Temple. And I do remember that moment like vividly when my raid guild finally managed to defeat him. But then after it was all over with, I was kind of left with this lingering, huh, was that it? Because he didn't really seem like he was all that threatened. I mean, there was a lot worse stuff. Did you see Kael'thas? You know, I mean, there was a lot worse going on. So, I appreciated the fact that he's back, and we get to actually see his story come to some kind of resolution, which is what we got in 2017. The end of Andorus, or Antorus, is the end of Illidan's story, for now, anyway. Um, how do you guys feel like that was handled? Do you do you like what they did with his character, or do you wish that they hadn't brought him back at all? Joe, you go. I was actually very happy to see him come back in the way that he did because his character evolved, right? And and we talked about this before on the show, where at the end of things, it wasn't that he was this you know whiny, uh, you know I've done everything, you've done nothing type person. It was more, I see what's happened and I see what needs to be done. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. And that's just what it is. But before I do that, I'm going to go and part some wisdom on somebody who I think needs it in a way that isn't just, oh, look at me. I'm the greatest thing in the universe. It's, hey, you know, you're following a path that's very similar to what I did, just at, at the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe you should stop that. Um and I think that was kind of a cool moment for his character because you see that he sort of, and this is going to be something I probably say often, but it's like his character grew up. He wasn't that moody teenager anymore that, you know, sat in his bedroom and, you know, listened to, to emo music and, you know, you don't understand me, dad, all the time. It was. I'm just like picturing that skull of Gul'dan <laughs> that he was holding on top of, uh, on top of, you remember at the Black Temple when you went up there? Yeah. And he was, now I'm picturing it as like this wireless beats speaker <laughs> was playing like listen i'm not saying that black temple at the time wasn't a, a moody teenager's bedroom basically but it kind of was maybe it but it's just up there he's up there it's blair and my chemical romance or something like <laughs> while he's while he's waiting for us to show up <laughs> i am i imagine the skull of Gul'dan would be the dad who didn't understand him yeah kind of oh, okay but but I appreciate it. I appreciate what they did with this character, and I appreciate that they made him more than what he was. Because a lot of people I know personally hated the idea of him coming back. They hated it. So much so that a couple of people I know unsubscribed from the game for a while until they realized that, oh, he's not still the whiny thing? All right, cool. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll see what's going on. Maybe I'll come back. And at the end, they were like, okay, yeah, that was way, way, way better than I anticipated. And that sort of... I appreciate that. I appreciate just the way that he grew as a character. My thought on Illidan is really simple in that I like that he stayed a jackass. He didn't get He stayed nice. true to himself, and true to yes. himself was kind of a jerk. 
Yes, Illidan Stormy smarmy, but still good. No, that, the thing is, is I wouldn't even say he's good. He remained the guy he'd always been. He just got smarter about it. Like, and not just not just that, but there's certainly an, an element of there's a couple of times when they have Illidan smile, and his smile is the most smug, self congratulatory thing I've ever seen. And I love it. I love what a jerk. It's one he of is. those smirks that makes you want to punch a dude. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Illidan Stormrage is never ever going to be the guy who when he gives you advice the advice will be tainted with how great he thinks he is he's and he's still even when he was talking to uh to velen it was there he, there's that but for me there's two really key moments for Eladon in this expansion um the one that ann mentioned uh with guldon and the one with zira on mm, argus that moment with zira was something else Zira basically spent this entire expansion doing a couple of things. One of them, a lot of people have accused her of basically being Illidan's Greek chorus cheerleader, just telling us how great he is all the time. And it was a little bit deeper than that. It, there was a, it was more along the lines of trying to convince you that Illidan did the things he did only because he had to, and that given another option, he'd take it. And it definitely, to me, afterwards felt like that was what Zira was trying to convince herself, that Illidan was a victim of circumstances and when given the better option, and this goes back to Illyria to some degree because Illyria showed us that Zira was not capable of understanding certain things. The complexities of mortal beings were a little beyond her. Um, and I want to go into that after we get done yeah. talking about Illidan actually. So you, you have that moment where Zira is, has Illidan in front of her, the, the, the child of destiny that she's been looking for this whole time, the one who's going to tip the balance and help the light defeat the Legion. And she's offering him every good thing the light has to offer. Salvation, healing, uh, a chance to belong, a chance to spread the, the, the light throughout the galaxy to banish darkness. And Illidan does not want it. The person she's been talking to you about for this entire expansion, he doesn't know who that guy is. He's like, no, I, I wasn't. I, I, these, are, these are choices I made. I am my scars. You know, the, all, everything that happened to me happened to me because I realized that sacrifices had to be made and I made them. And that to me, that's Illidan. He, he's, is he a good person? Eh, by certain definitions. Uh, he's, is he a nice person? Absolutely not. He wants you to know that he's better than you because he did what had to be done. And that pain that he went through, he wants it to have been worth something. When she offers to just wipe it all away, he's like, no, no, that's not who I am. And when she pushes it, he destroys her. You know, he will not let her change him. And he won't. That's the thing. In the face of all these cosmic terrors, vast, you know, titans, you know, demented old gods, world souls. Yeah, world souls, unfathomable beings of light. Illidan's ultimate message is don't let them change you. Don't let them make you what they want you to be. Don't let them make you be anything other than what you are. Yeah, and that's whether you like the guy or not. And, you know, I don't think I'd want to spend any time around Illidan Stormrage. Like, oh my God, no. That's a great message. I feel like they kind of perfected the anti hero in Illidan. Kind of. This time. Yeah, this time. This time around, think, they did. 
You talked about it in Burning Crusade. The biggest problem I have with Burning Crusade is that because of the way I played it, I never even got to see the one major quest chain he was in until after I'd killed him. <laughs> like, so I had no idea what was going on. Like, you know, why why are we going into the Black Temple? Ah, reasons. Uh, yeah. Okay. Why why are we, like, I kind of got why we were helping a comma out because that, you know, having your soul torn out, that sucks. I wouldn't want that. Okay. You got more interaction with a comma than you ever did with Illidan. Yeah, and, and I... The couple of times that he showed up were very brief, and you didn't really learn a lot about him. No, I mean, there's that quest chain that ultimately ends up with you basically confronting him uh, over another netherwing like ledge. I want to say the, yeah. the, the nether things, and you know he's not even really there. It's a it's an image, but it is funny that you know you've managed to delude your way through like a whole host of these fell orcs. Illidan takes one look at you and he's like, "What? This guy's not. Why an did orc? you what? let this person in?" <laughs> this dude's not an orc. What's wrong with you? But I didn't even get to see that until after he was dead. Like, I tanked him and killed him before I got to see that. So for me, it was like Gilladin Storm Age. Uh, he spent this entire expansion distracting the Legion. Why is that bad? I feel like with Illidan in 2017 in particular, I mean, we it, it's applicable to 2017 because he didn't really return until the end of Nighthold. So we had him this year. And we got him for a whole year, and now he's off doing his thing. And I feel like his story, they managed to write his story in a way that was understandable, but not to the point where you necessarily feel sympathy for the guy. Like, they weren't trying to make him a shining example of a good guy or anything. They weren't trying to make him a hero. Zira, it seemed like Zira was trying to set him up like that, but that wasn't really the case at all and it took Illidan actually showing up to prove that that wasn't the case that wasn't what we were seeing here that this wasn't a lead up to Illidan showing up and suddenly being you know this glowing hero of the light leader of the army of the light fighting against the void and Sargeras and blah blah no he's just the same as he's always been and he's happy about it and he will happily embrace that aspect of himself because that's all he is and all he will ever be and I feel like the closure that we got with him, like the end of his story chain in Antorus, the whole cinematic at the end of all of that, I feel like that was the appropriate way to end that chapter. I don't think that it could have ended any other way. I think I think that's probably the happiest I've ever been with the resolution of a character that we probably aren't going to see again for quite some time. Yeah. I'm okay that we aren't going to see him for quite some time, and I'm not left with a ton of lingering questions, and I appreciate it. Um, hand in hand, though, with Illidan, we do have to talk about the Naru because Zero was kind of a big player, and... She was a big player throughout the leveling experience. Like once you hit 110 and you got, <laughs> she started talking in your head and then you had that whole chain that she took you on where she showed you all of Illidan's backstory and all this other stuff and then hung out in your class hall for a while and then you reunited her and made her whole and then she promptly went splat. But between Zira and Lura and the other Naru and what we learned kind of in context from Velen when Velen was talking on Makari. How do you guys feel about the Naru right now as opposed to going into Legion or even, you know, the end of Warlords, end of Mist of Pandaria and their Cataclysm? You want me to go first this time, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go for okay. it. One of the reasons that I'm, I keep going back to the, uh, the, the, the audio drama, the Thousand Years of War with Ilaria and Turalyon is because it does give you a lot of detail on the Naru and it's specifically about Zira. And 
they did a really interesting thing where they kind of acknowledged that sometimes quote unquote good or you know the 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 light the positive side of things can be harsh and inflexible and rigid and unwilling to bend they they addressed fanaticism and the naru have a streak of it for all that they they have a light cycle that forces them to go between light and dark they favor light it almost feels like that life cycle is to keep them from getting too far out of control and that zera is a really good example of what happens when you just don't listen to it you don't ever pay attention to it and you won't accept it like her confrontation with Alaria was really eye-opening to me because like Alaria's like well you know what harm can there be in? and she's like no if you continue on this path you will no longer be one of us just cuts her right off i will not listen to you i will not we will not have this conversation proverbial fingers and proverbial ears however anaru does that that's what she did i will be wind chiming my butt off until you shut up um you know she just and that to me like for all that you know velen is still a mortal being for all that he's been around forever he still understands in a way that the naru can't that life is more than just the light that without shadow there, you know, without shadow light is just everywhere. And therefore nothing, because everything is light. There, there's nothing to contrast it with. There's no other side. I get the if feeling there's... that Velen knows more about the Naru than he's telling. Yeah, I definitely like, we still have stuff to learn about them. And Velen has those secrets. There was that great moment. Between him and Turalyon. Yeah, yeah, where Turalyon is like, but she's a creature of the light. And Velen just turns to him like, you poor sweet summer child. He he, he was just like, <laughs> the Naru don't always tell you everything. And it's like, really? How do you know, Velen? What do you know? Please, yeah. by all means, I'll just sit here, sip my tea. Tell me what you know. Which is <laughs> that, the way he's like, he's almost like, he's almost patting Turalyon on the shoulder, like, you know, a thousand years with him. Oh, wow. Bless you, child. I spent, like, however long I did on a spaceship going from world to world with these guys. And trust me, they're more complicated than you think. And that's, that to me, Zara is a perfect example of this. Zara's... And she's a prime is, Naru. Like, she's one yeah. of the first. Yeah, I mean, I forget the name of the one. Uros. Uros from the uh, Exodar was her direct descendant. Uros, like, yeah. 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 Many of the Naru we've seen come from her, if not all of them. Many of them do. And, uh, yeah, she was not having the idea of moral nuance. You know, there's that great bit in the, in the book where, like, you know, someone says, I think it was Illyria says that the light sees only one possible future. And believes it to be true and that the shadow sees all possible futures and believes them all to be true and zero was that to a t absolutely there was going to be there was going to be one future she was going to she she prophesied it she saw it she was going to make it happen and that ran right into to illidan that's the the beauty here is that illidan's whole message is no there is no fate there's no chosen one there's no only one way to win now, they put you in that box because they want to control the outcome because they can't imagine anything but the way they think it should be. And it's, you know. Joe, what about you? I don't really have a whole lot to add. Uh, I mean, you guys pretty much covered it. It's just, it's interesting to me that there's, there's more depth. There's more to uncover there than I think we, than we originally thought. And I appreciate that because I always like the idea of things it's going to sound goofy. I like complicated. I like when things aren't cut and dry. They aren't, you know, so well defined that that 
it just it is what it is. I like the idea that yeah, there's more complicated nuance or, or more depth to the Naru than they're just beings of light and they're they work for the light or, or they're good. That that's the end of the story. No, I like the idea that that there's more for us to learn. Like heck, we don't even we really don't even know how they were born. Like we don't know we we don't even necessarily truly know what their role in the universe is. We have ideas. We have whatever we've glimpsed from whatever NPCs have told us, or you know what Zera has informed us. Which I like again, that take that with a grain of salt. To speculation, yeah. still. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not clearly defined. We can still have these conversations, right? Like we can still point to well, maybe this means this, or maybe this is where they came from. Or I, I like that. I enjoy that. I enjoy complicated messes. I would just like to add that however many years ago I wrote a tinfoil hat know your lore that said that the Naru were a menace that needed to be destroyed. <laughs> I feel half validated. Because <laughs> part of my uh, reasoning in that tinfoil hat was that any creature that shows up and just suffuses the air around them with this aura of calm and peace where you don't feel like speaking up or talking back because everything is just so good that's not necessarily a good creature just because a creature makes you feel nice doesn't mean that they are I'm just going to say it. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I mean, that's kind of where I go with that. Because, like, the shadow is kind of like, yeah, everything's possible. It's cool. It's like, you know, stuff happens. I'm not it's saying, not big of a deal. I'm not and, saying and, that the void is a good thing either. I'm just saying I, I, that. I know, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. The Naru are just as sus- suspect as the void are in my eyes. They always have been. And they have yet to prove me otherwise. But um, let's go ahead There's and wrap a- up the World of Warcraft portion of this, though. Um, what I want to know is what do you guys hope to see out of World of Warcraft in 2018? Obviously, Battle for Azeroth is on the horizon. Do you feel like that's a good direction for Blizzard to be going? And how do you feel Legion as a whole, story-wise, like from beginning to end, how do you feel it holds up in against all of the other expansions that have come out? Well, depending on how long it takes the next expansion to come out, that kind of affects your view of an expansion rightly or wrongly. I mean, I think it's not really fair to view Mists with that big trout at the end because it's not Mist's fault, but we do because we're human. Because there was that um, year of nothing. Yeah. So with that said, if this expansion comes out in a reasonable amount of time, if we're not left with a year of Antorus. Let's, let's, let's cut that out of the equation. Let's just not talk just, about that and, yeah. because that has nothing to if, do with the story. If we don't, I'm just if we talking don't, about like yeah. the story from beginning to end. How do you feel Legion did? If we don't consider that, if we just look at every expansion's story, then this expansion beats Wrath of the Lich King, and therefore is tied for first place in terms of what I think of as the best expansion that they've ever done. And in terms of impact, has more impact tied than my with other what? choice. With Mists. Okay. This is my favorite, but right now Legion is... If Mists is 100 on the scale, Legion is just threatening to go to 101. Like, it's, they're right there, but Allegiant is starting to edge it. That would be where I am with this right now. It depends on a lot on what that we see. There's a little tiny bit left of story coming. I want to see what it is. When I get to really see it and play it, then I'll, I'll know for sure how I feel about it. What about um, 2018? What do you hope to see out of Battle for Azeroth? We've heard Actually, very can, little can, about it. but Can Joe go with both this and that, and then I can go with that? Because I, <laughs> I want to think about it really okay. carefully. All right. And Joe, what do you think? 
Um, I really enjoyed the way that everything unfolded for Legion as far as story goes. And as far as its comparison to uh, the other expansions, I I really want to say that it, it is tied neck and neck for for my f- first place. And it would have to go with Mists as far as that goes. Um, I don't look at the drought as much as possible just because, again, it's not the story game or the story of the game's fault. It's developers and stuff happens, so whatever. But from a pure story standpoint, I, I I think that just the sheer volume, the sheer weight, the sheer presentation of it, those two are neck and neck right now. And I'm sort of in the same camp with Rossi where I'd like to see what little tiny bits and drabs we have left um, before I make my final determination, but right now they're tied. And I feel like we should point out here to the listeners at home that we... When I say ignore the year-long break, it's because the year-long break had no story in it whatsoever. What we're looking at here is Purely simply story. simply the story of Legion from beginning to end. And the end of that story is Antorus. Um, maybe there's that little bit coming after in 735, but that's the, the major part of Legion's story is done and over with. It's been told. Um same thing with Miss of Pandaria. We're looking at the story from like day one when we arrive on Pandaria to the Siege of Orgamar and its resolution. We don't look at the blank space that comes after that. We just look at the story as a whole. Uh, same thing with Warlords of Draenor. We look at and Warlords. I think what affected Warlords for me the most, it wasn't that year-long stretch at the end. It was just that that drought was persistent throughout the entire expansion once you hit level 100. It was, for me, for Warlords, it was just the the wasted potential. Yeah, there was a lot of potential there (laughs) that didn't get anything done. Um, Okay, so, uh, Joe, what do you think 2018, what do you want to see out of Battle for Azeroth? We've heard very little, so what do you want to see out of it? I honestly, and this is going to sound goofy, but I've been, and this is the one thing that I wish I would have gotten more of. I want more Void and Old God stuff. I really honestly do. And the only reason I say that is because as much as we've gotten, we've gotten literally nothing comparative, comparatively to the other, other bits of information we've gotten. So like, we know more about the Titans than we ever did before. We know more about the Burning Legion than we ever did before. Uh, we know more about World Souls than we ever did before we still don't know really almost anything about what actually the void is. I'd like to know more about the Shadowlands. We don't know a whole lot about that either. And if, and if we're going to have such a, a major player in Sylvanas going forward uh, into the battle for Azeroth, I think that'd be a great opportunity to explore that a little bit more and to see what's there. What's, what's waiting, what's lurking behind that veil that so closely touches Azeroth. So, so closely touches reality. Like I would absolutely love to explore that more. And I'd like to, to dive more into those items. And I think we have an opportunity. Okay. Rossi, keep it brief. Cause we do have other IPs to talk about here, but what would you like to see in 2018 out of world of Warcraft? Uh, something that actually shakes up, the status quo in Define a way that makes status it quo. of the horde and the alliance okay that that makes it worth doing a horde and alliance centric story they they've got this premise they want to work on they want to do the horde and alliance conflict okay they've wanted to do that before if you're going to do it make it worth doing that's what i want okay I feel like Legion has done an excellent job, like a commendable job in bringing all of those old stories left over from all the way back to the RTS games beyond the Dark Portal, bringing a lot of those loose threads to a resolution, finally. 
and we're kind of free to move forward into the future. So I'm kind of excited to see what we're going to get out of Battle for Azeroth. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we need Alpha. Can we get Alpha like real quick here? That'd be great. <laughs> I'd be very happy with that. Moving on, though, Blizzard does have other IPs available. Before we jump into Overwatch, because I do want to touch on Overwatch, before we jump into that, I kind of want to talk about Hearthstone for a second, because Hearthstone is, it's a card game. I mean, flat out, it's a card game. But in the past year, we've seen them come out with a few different comics. We've seen them come out with a full-on animated introduction thing with this girl <laughs> in a tavern, and it was really yep. cute and all that. And they were of establishing which they we're going to get more of. Well, and they were establishing all of these different characters and things that work within the Hearthstone universe. Now, obviously, they haven't told like a massive story or anything like that with Hearthstone. But what I want to know from you guys is. Is Hearthstone lore something you want to see? Is is this the kind of game that you think could support something more lore-based? Or is it just a goofy, fun card game? So I'm of a weird mindset for card games because I think that they are more apt for storytelling than I think people really give them credit for. Ooh, explain and that. <laughs> so... So here's an interesting thing, and this is something that has been around since, you know, anybody who's played Magic the Gathering in the 90s would understand where they started and where this came from. Card games can have set pieces or stories in which they they work within, where the cards are the literal representation of what unfolds. And, and the interesting thing about this is right now there's this big gaming sort of resurgence of card games that are sort of coming out that are using either cards as the mechanic for storytelling or the, the mechanics for the actual gameplay itself. And we're talking like full-blown RPGs. We're talking about story-driven games that are using this as sort of their mechanics. So you have things like, um, and I'll name a couple games out there, like Hands of Fate, um, Slay the Spire, things like that are starting to explore this um, deeper and deeper and deeper. And that route is already there with Hearthstone. So Hearthstone can be whatever it wants to be. And that's sort of an interesting place for any Blizzard IP to be. It's not, while it's set loosely within the realms of World of Warcraft, it doesn't necessarily have to stay there. And it doesn't have to be, you know, sort of where the where the world events outside affect the card game. The, the, the game itself it is its own little entity. Yeah, it doesn't now, have to work with it within the context of existing yeah. canon, as yeah. evidenced and, and, by Frozen Throne. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and, the, and like that, that's a, that, that is a great example of the what-if scenarios, right? Like, what if Jaina became a Dread Knight? What if, you know, all of these champions became Death Knights and, and had all these special... What if, what if the Lich King won? And there's so many cool little scenarios with that that I think that's awesome. But... When we started seeing these shorts, I immediately started to think of one of my favorite author's sets of books, um, and it was it, – it's the, the the Black Prism series. And it's one of my favorite book series of, of modern-day writing simply because it, it throws a lot of convention out the window and does some weird things. And one of the things it does is that instead of having like a card there, – there is a card game in this the series – where it's its own little universe and it not only tells the history of things that have happened but also like events inside the game shape the outside world and it's a really cool concept um, and, and I like that idea and I think that Hearthstone in particular as far as Blizzard IPs goes could be a wonderful, wonderful place for all those things. What if scenarios, deep storytelling 
And we know that their team is passionate enough about this that, I mean, heck, just watch anything of any stream they've ever done. And they start talking about like the decision making and, and sort of the 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 idea behind like the cards and the characters. And you see their eyes light up and they want to tell stories. Let them. And I mean, if it gets me Muppets at the end of the day where they're like, you know, Cobalt Muppets singing and dancing, I'm OK with that, too. But like we have the opportunity for this to become something a little bit bigger than just a card game. All of that groundwork is already there. Okay. Rossi, what do you think? Uh, I, as long as you're ca- comfortable with the tongue jamming really hard into the cheek, I'm fine with like Hearthstone having lore uh, because it doesn't – it's lore, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It doesn't – you know, what if we, if we decide to completely contradict this later? Who cares, man? Exactly. But, it's a little bit like time... Heroes of the Storm where Heroes of the Storm has like different written up stories and backgrounds for the heroes and things like that. And they're yeah, not really – reflective of their respective IPs per se. Here's here's a storm feels an awful lot like Blizzard's answer to the old school DC comics with all their infinite worlds. It's like yeah. here's the world where Thrall joined the Burning Legion. Here's the world where Jaina was a dreadlord this whole time. Here's the world where Arthas just wants to be friends. Here's the the world where Uther cuts trown trees. Why? He likes to cut them down. Cuz why not? Cuz he's a lumberjack and he's okay. Uh, it's so that's I'm okay with Hearthstone kind of exploring that part of itself. And um, the comics have actually been pretty funny. Like they they're got cute. They, they're super the, the, cute. The Cobalt one got, got um, Mark Evanier to write it, which is like, if you're a comics nerd, Mark Evanier is up there. He, he wrote like a really classic um, biography of Jack Kirby. He wrote, he did like, you know, plots and stuff for grew the wanderer. He's not, not nobody. So they're, they're not, they're not taking it They're easy. They're pulling with these in some things. bigger names here. Yeah, and I, I, it's a funny little comic. It's not. It's not world changing, but I. I actually really liked the kind of strange, almost. Um, it felt a little bit like taking a Laurel and Hardy buddy movie, you know, the the old school comic duo types for Abbott and Costello, and mixing that with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and then making them both Cobalts. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, and now they're both Cobalts. What? What is going on here? So yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I think. I think honestly, but one of the things I love the most though about Hearthstone lore is when it does leak into World of Warcraft when it goes back, because we're getting the Tortolans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the Tortolans were originally just made up to be in Hearthstone cards. That's it. They wanted to have cute turtle people to be in Hearthstone cards, so they st- stuck them in. Because you know, hey, and Sorok, they're also Sorok and Angoro. You never saw them, but they're there. But what I went all over Angoro. Nope, you missed these guys. And also, there's there's cute turtle. They're just people. very good at hiding. <laughs> yeah, you, you missed them, but they're there. And what now they're I, actually going to be in the game, so yay. Yeah, I think what I appreciate about Hearthstone is that each of the little expansions that they came out with over the past year have, they've had like a very definitive kind of story behind them, kind of influencing them. And maybe that story didn't work within the context of World of Warcraft, but it totally worked within the context of Hearthstone. And like Joe said, Everybody on that team seems to be really gung ho about the stories that they're trying to te- that they're trying to tell here. Um, yeah. Whether or not we I get any do. progressive story, I don't think we're going to see that. But I'm okay with these little vignette things, you know. I don't think you hire Dave Kosak no. and put him in charge of your story if you're not willing. If you you know, this is a guy who knows what's mm-hmm. going on in this game. He he's very very knowledgeable yeah that expansion that all three of us are saying is like up there at number one miss of pandaria that was kosak's doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the fact that he's moved over to hearthstone is kind of like huh what are they gonna do over there 
I do like that animated short that they came out with. I like the fact that they introduced like a cast of characters. I'm interested in seeing what they're going to do with that cast of characters. Like, how is that going to come into play? What are they going to do with it? I feel like that's something they're going to develop into something else, whether it's like, I don't know, a series of children's books or or I don't know what, but it feels like it's going to be going somewhere because why would you go that far to develop these characters that feel like real people and give them names and personalities and all this other stuff to just use them in one short? That doesn't feel right to me. You know what I mean? Yes. uh, Well, and then that's some of the... They they've also they they also said flat out that they wanted to do more with them, right? Like, yeah. like I believe it was it BlizzCon when they were talking about, it and they said that this isn't going to be the only time you see these characters. Yeah. So like, that's cool to me. I like that. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Um, Heroes of the Storm we kind of touched on a little bit hand in hand with with talking about Hearthstone as far as it's kind of its own entity. I don't think we've seen any like major story things come out of Heroes of the Storm. Heroes of the Storm seems to be kind of, you know, centrally located as far as its story goes. When it comes out with a new hero, that new hero generally has some kind of backstory thing that's scribbled in and they let people know about it. But it's more about, you know, beating other people's faces in and going ham on course. So we're okay with that. Overwatch. Overwatch is a little weird because <laughs> Overwatch, when it debuted two years ago, came out with a series of animated shorts that fleshed out this world in a way that I never actually pictured happening for a game that's essentially a shooter title. And the community has responded in spades because they've done I don't know how many pieces of fan art I don't know how much fanfic I don't know how much everything the community is really engaged and invested in these characters and 2017 we saw a few new characters debut we saw Orisa which was kind of cool but she was sort of like the prelude to Doomfist which was like the big reveal this year because everybody's been waiting for Doomfist since we saw that initial trailer and they were talking about Doomfist (laughs) and Doomfist was originally supposed to be like this throwaway thing but all of a sudden everybody's making a big deal out of it and now he's canon and not only is he canon he's back he's working with Talon he's like stepped up as the head of Talon they busted him out of prison and we haven't seen much more than that as far as animated shorts and all this other stuff we've seen like a couple of smaller ones but nothing really major how do you guys feel overwatch did on the lore front this year they did amazingly i mean i don't really think you can dispute that uh people love the characters of overwatch they love the story so you know let's be honest the story itself has not moved that much they've put in some cinematics they did the really interesting comics the one you just mentioned that like you know deals with doomfist story but it doesn't really move much and that's fine but people have absolutely fallen in love with these characters we did a post on the site uh this week uh mitch wrote it basically talking about how the engagement people have google of all places google felt the need to tell us who's shipping who and how much they're shipping various overwatch characters when google the largest you know data company in the world feels the need to go and by the way guys everybody loves mikanzo <laughs> you know what i mean like, <laughs> we just want you guys to know everybody loves mikanzo but hey pharmacy that picked up this year it got it got ahead of reaper 76 so you know it's like what are you doing google do you know who you are are you aware of what you're doing and the answer is yes overwatch is that big now um so Google's got its fingers on the pulse of the gaming community. It yeah, knows what's and, what. 
I, I do feel like there's like they've managed to tell enough story to get you to care without telling so much story that that it feels like it's you know it limits you as to what you can think about or do. Um, I really think there's two shorts that I saw this year. There might be an, another one besides. I don't count the Doom Fist because it's it's a an actual animated thing, but the Mai and the Reinhardt ones. Yep. Both really did a good job of t- of not necessarily you mean telling May, you what the one the one with May yeah. where okay. Rise and Shine, Rise and Shine, yeah May. I say my my apologies, um, but you know the, the Rise and Shine one and the Reinhardt one give you they give you who these characters are. There's this the Reinhardt one I keep coming back to because there's this moment where you see old you know modern Reinhardt the Reinhardt in in his older years um, with. Oh, bloody heck, I can't remember. Torbjorn, Torbjorn's daughter, uh, who is basically acting as his squire. And she's like, look, I don't understand why you need to go back. Like, they, they, they f- disbanded it. They, they basically threw you out. Look at the life you're leading now is because they didn't, you know, now you're going to just go running back. And he's like, you don't understand. And then they show you what she doesn't understand. And you get a sense. This is who this guy was. Uh, it turns that joke, the, you know, oh, I remember that poster. You know, it, it turns the joke about the hair into a real thing. Like you get to see the hair that he had. Yes, mm-hmm. he had hair worthy of being on a poster. He really did. You know, he was that guy. And you get to see the moment where he realizes, oh, you know, I have screwed up. I have my, I've put myself ahead of others and that's not the point. And he won't do it again. And it's just it's really well done. And I, I feel like it didn't get talked about enough because it didn't have the sheer raw power of the of the Rise and Shine one, which is just a gut punch. Rise and Shine, you watch that thing, it's a it's an absolute men- it's just a, you know, oh my god, gut punch. Whereas the, the Reinhardt one is quieter and sadder in a quiet quieter way. And and I think which is weird to say about, you know, bombs everywhere and robots shooting people, but Yeah, well, yeah it it has a it has a weight to it that a lot of the other shorts don't. Both right? of them like, did this year. They they do. They're, they're they're definitely darker than some of the other ones we've we've had. And I think that's sort of important, at least for that. But one thing I do love about Overwatch, and as far as their story goes, is that it's not about necessarily shaping the future world, where I'm sure some of that's going to eventually happen, where we're going to get new maps or you know new heroes that, that sort of evolve the story in some way, shape, or form. Um, but there's so much that have left unsaid about the characters we have that the fact that they're going through and they're telling sort of these stories of who these characters are and who who they were and how they became that way or who they are today and and I think that's kind of cool and like in shorts like you know Rise and Shine shorts like Honor and Glory uh they're really good at that and yeah they have a more somber tone to them but I mean Over- Overwatch is a it's a dark place it's not exactly a happy go lucky you know feely world it's it's dark it's grim it's a world post-war it's a world on the brink of another war you know it's it's not supposed to feel like great and fuzzy and warm and they do a good job of that i think and i like the way that they present these shorts and i do love the comics and that's sort of a thing that i i think also doesn't get talked about enough is how much you know love and effort are put into those comics that they produce and how much story they tell as well. Like, yeah, a lot of them have to do with like, this is stuff that did happen, but like, that's how we learned more about Tracer and her life. And that's how we learned about Doomfist and how he's sort of taking over, uh, 
you know, talent and forcing them to 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 do things that they were necessarily shying away from and, and things like that. It's just very well done and very well presented. And I think that as long as they keep doing that, it's going to be eternally fantastic. I think what I appreciated most about the the shorts that we saw this year, May and Reinhardt in particular, was that were they dark? Yeah, um, because they were showing where these people had come from. And the Omnic Crisis, people tend to forget this because Overwatch is full of bright colors and cheers and, you know, yahoo, all this other stuff. You, you tend to forget that the Omnic crisis, crisis was like this horrific event that kind of darkened the world and Overwatch made that world bright again. So what I appreciated with both of these animated shorts was that were they gut punch? Yeah. But at the end of them, there was still that feeling of kind of hopeful optimism that came out of them. Even with, you know, May stepping out into the sun and, and going on her way, she said goodbye to her friends because she had to, but she's still looking for a new way to help the world. And Reinhardt, I mean, Reinhardt, when he was talking to Brigitte, he said that, you know, he flat out said, he said, I've been called and I'm always going to answer that call because that's just who Reinhardt is. So I kind of like that they're still embracing that whole idea of this world is kind of, yeah, it's dark. Yeah, it's scary in places. Yeah, the stuff that Doomfist is doing, probably not good at all whatsoever. But at the same time, you have these heroes that are going to step up in the face of that, in spite of that, and keep doing what they have to do. Um, The only complaint that I have with Overwatch and it's so minor and it's not really a complaint so much as just me on my knees quietly begging for more story because I feel like we didn't get as much this year as we did the year prior now we did as far as like the comics go we started right off we had we had a Bastion comic we had the whole Overwatch Uprising comic that talked about the past, which was great because we got that a little bit more filled in. We got the Doomfist comic, which was fantastic. The the Masquerade one where he comes back to Talon and everything. That one was fantastic. Uh, we got one about Roadhog. We got that really neat Zarya one where she goes on a hunt to try and figure out what's up with Sombra. And that was kind of uh, a continuation of Sombra's animated short from the year prior so it was good to see something else come out of that and then the last two comics that we got were just kind of reflective of the in-game events they weren't really story related at all or anything and I feel like the animated shorts we didn't get anywhere near as many this year and I don't know what they were working on I'm not sure what they're working on. I'm going to hope that maybe they are working on a movie or they're working on this gigantic glut of animated shorts that we're going to see in starting in 2018. Um, that's my hope anyway. <laughs> we'll point out that we didn't talk at all about the Junkertown thing. No, we didn't. And the Junkertown and thing is another thing worth mentioning. The uh, Junkertown video, which is, you know, it's all in-game stuff. It's not one of their big cinematics. It's all done with in-game assets. Yeah. It, it's it's some stripped down storytelling, but in the process of doing a really funny little video, um, I don't care what you say, Alex. It was funny. Um, it, they also put in like we we get to find out more about what Junkertown is. We get to find out more about who lives there, uh, what they're doing, why R- Roadhog and Junkrat aren't necessarily welcome there anymore, and we got the mention of the Junker Queen, who is a character I want so bad. And the 
that's another one of those places where, I mean, like the comic that they had, the Junkertown Wasted Land comic, it showed how Roadhog and Junkrat kind of came together and it showed a little bit more of that history of what was going on in Australia during that time period because that was not happy. Nothing that was there was happy. Um, nothing that went on there was happy. These people spent the Omnic Crisis fighting to hang on to their land and keep it out of Omnic control, like fight off the Omnics that wanted to just destroy them, basically. And once that Omnic crisis was all resolved and over with, the Australian government said, okay, Omnics, we're going to give you uh, this parcel of land right here where all these people are. And the people that were living there were like, are you kidding me? So, I mean, there's that whole conflict thing going on there, too. And the fallout from that that's where Roadhog and, and Junkrat kind of fall in. Their story, they may look like a couple of really goofy, lovable characters or whatever. You know, you have like <laughs> the Roadhog toast where he's holding the tiny teacup. I love that to bits. I think it's fantastic. Um, these two characters, despite their really goofy past or, or their really goofy disposition, excuse me, and how they're presented, there's much more to them than what we, we're seeing. And I kind of hope that they explore more with that. Um, what do you guys hope to see out of the Overwatch in 2018? I hope to see a litany of animated shorts. Just give me an animated series, Blizzard. Go on, do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, but, why is this not on Netflix already or would, Amazon Prime or you something? Know, you know what? I would throw down for an Overwatch novel at this point. If they wanted to write like novels for Overwatch, like young adult novels or whatever, I would eat those up. Are you kidding me? That'd be fantastic. Anything, anything out of this franchise, I will take it. Michael, Chu, just throw it out there. Come on. What about you guys? What do you want to see in 2018 out of Overwatch? I mean, yeah, definitely more animated shorts. But what I would really honestly love to see, and then we've talked about this before, give me a full-blown graphic novel at some point, please, because I will definitely throw money at that. That one that was canceled. I know. I'm crying. (laughs) Please, come on. I was really looking forward to that. I was really looking forward to that. And I understand why they canceled it. You know, when they talked about why that one had been canceled, and for people listening who may not have heard this, the reason they canceled it is because the comic was establishing stuff that happened back in the Omnic Crisis and whatnot, and... Upon going back and looking at it again, they realized they really didn't want to hammer this down as much in stone, not in the way that the graphic novel did, so they pulled it. I get that. I totally get that. But give me more! <laughs> Rossi, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. I was just thinking in terms of like the stuff you guys mentioned that I already want, so I can't mention those things, and then it hit me. Um, we're in a world where large media corporations are ever expanding and constantly consuming other companies and becoming huge polyglot hydras. And I just want somebody to buy both Bioware and Blizzard and make them make a game together and make it be an Overwatch first-person shooter RPG action thing. And I'll just spend the rest of my life trying to force my various crushes to make out. Like Zarya and Sombra, which is a new ship I've concocted after reading that Zarya comic. Nope, that that one. Yeah, Zarya, Sombra. I I don't care. I mentioned this in uh, a queue where people were talking about, they were like, if you could make any Blizzard IP into a game like Skyrim, what would you pick? And I'm like, Diablo, like automatically. That's a Diablo game if I ever heard one. That's a Diablo RPG because, you know, open world, you've got all the crafting, which you've already got in Diablo and it really works with it or whatever. But then I also mentioned, I was like, I want them to do that first person style 
RPG, a la Mass Effect or Dragon Age or what have you, with Overwatch. Because I want to play through the Omnic Crisis as it's happening. I want to see what that looks like. And I want to make them all kiss. And and that's it. <laughs> I just want to make them all kiss. Somebody in the comments was like, what do you mean by all? And I'm like, they, they were like, you want to make who kiss? And I'm like, all of them. I just want to make them all kiss. <laughs> that's what replays are for, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Choose a different path. I would, I would just... I would love to see a game like that out of Blizzard. I really would. Um, I think Overwatch is a really good IP to do something like that with. But yeah, is there anything else you'd like to see lore-wise out of Overwatch next year, Rossi? Uh, I would like to see them maybe move the story a little bit. Um, one of the things they've done pretty well is to put in like backstory stuff, like the uh, the uh, uprising. Yeah. Thing they they did that was pretty cool. But most of the other events have been stuff like self-contained. Like the uh, the Halloween one is very self-contained, and so is the Christmas one. There's not really any. Uh, there's no real story to it. It's just cool stuff. It's um, cute. And, yeah, but I'd like there to be something next year that says, "Yeah, we've we've shown you the past, and we've shown you side stuff. Here's something that actually and now this happens. You know, um, I feel like they started that with a Doomfist comic with Masquerade yeah. and him coming back in power, but they haven't. And and with the Zarya one to a degree because she was like that's progression after Sombra's reintroduction in year one, but they haven't moved beyond that. And yeah, I would like to see them move forward. Okay, well I think I mean I'd ask you about Diablo, but we obviously had nothing Diablo related this year, and I think that we can all agree that what we want to see out of Diablo in 2018 is anything. <laughs> yeah. If I had a list to check off, my number one is what happened to Leia? Yeah. Uh, and after that, you know, then I pretty much let's go places we haven't been in a while. I mean, I love barbarians. I think they're the bee's knees, but we've seen a lot of barbarian land in the last two Diablo games. Let's go somewhere else. Part of me wants to see, obviously, I want to see what happened to Leia. But the other thing that I want to see is the end, the end of, um, oh, my gosh. Reaper of Souls? Reaper of Souls. The end of Reaper of Souls has Teriel looking at the Nephilim and kind of realizing that, whoa, this this creature is like all powerful beyond reckoning. And I kind of want to see what comes after that. Like what comes after that realization? What are you all going to do up in the high heavens? What's Teriel going to do? What's, what's happening with that? Because the Nephilim is like crazy, crazy, crazy powerful. And it would only take so much for them to cross the line into territory where we would have to take them down or somebody would have to take them down you know what I mean I feel like there's, yeah. there's plot open there to play with Joe do you have anything in particular you want to see out of Diablo anything anything literally anything <laughs> like, literally I, anything <laughs> I, it's one of those things where like I, I'm sorry but like I played through you know Reaper of Souls got to the end I was really excited when Reaper of Souls came out and then there's just been a whole lot of nothing. And I'm I may not be as big of a fan of Diablo as Rossi is, but I honestly just want more because I'm, I mean the story that we had was okay. It was good. It was it was fun. And then there's just been nothing. And it's like the game 
unfortunately feels stagnant for me. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying that it's everybody feels that same way. It's just my opinion on it. it. It's just but I would love to see an evolution of that. I would love to see the next chapter in the Diablo story. I would love to see where it's come. And recently I just watched something that uh, sort of took the evolution of the Diablo story from, you know, Diablo one back in the day uh, all the way through the current story. And it's like they've been progressively like cooler and bigger and grander and and and, and everything else. And then we just hit this sort of like drop off point and it's just it's sad because like I this has been such a uh, the story of this world has been such a part of my life for so many uh, for for decades literally decades at this point that like not having more seems awful <laughs> it just feels bad I want more there's one other thing I want to mention real fast about Diablo sure uh, Reaper Souls basically sets up at the very end that you basically defeat Malthiel, but before you do, he shatters the Black Soul Stone, which had Diablo in it. And Diablo at that time had basically managed to combine all of the evils, both prime and lesser, into himself and become the prime evil. And we don't know what happened after Malthiel broke it. There's a big old question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. Did just Diablo get out? Are they all out? Or here's the thing, if the original prime evil was a thing called Tathamet. Are we going to get that thing back? Because I don't want it back. It, it doesn't sound good. That Sounds pretty terrible, actually. Yeah, um, so there's there's some definite stuff to be considered here. Like, and what's you know, going to happen next? You know, to reiterate, we have nothing wrong with Diablo as a video game. Because Diablo is still fun to play. Diablo is still super fun to play. Like, I, I, I still love logging in every now and again and smushing demons. That's fantastic. We're just talking about purely story related stuff here and yeah they have a lot of places they could still go so i'm kind of hoping that we see them go there at some point um starcraft starcraft is done and over with they've wrapped that up they've put it to bed so we don't really have anything to talk to talk about as far as that goes but i think that kind of wraps us up we did go over but that's okay enjoy the extra large big edition of lore watch We'll get back to the regular size edition next time. And uh, we'll probably answer some emails if you guys have any email questions for the show. Please send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Make sure you put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can download a ton of Blizzard's titles. A lot of their titles are available on on Audible in audiobook format, and any of those are available for that 30-day trial. Um, there are also plenty of other books out there to choose from. You can sign up for their service at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Check it out. Help support the show. Um, final thoughts, you guys. 2017. How do you think 2017 was like Blizzard lore overall? Do you think it was better than 2016? In some regards, yes. In some regards, no. I think Overwatch had more story reveal, more lore, more more big things in 2016 than 2017 as a whole. But otherwise, I would think uh, I'd say most of the other stuff. Considering pretty, like pretty the well first done. half of the first half of 2016 for World of Warcraft was sitting there waiting for Legion to come out. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think 2017 kind of blew that one out of the water. Oh, in that in that regard, absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Rossi? 
There's no Diablo in 2016 either. <laughs> I know. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. It's okay, Rossi. Someday. When they're ready, I'm sure they'll give us something. They have to. Anyway, that wraps us up. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening. And we've had so much fun doing this show throughout 2017. We're looking forward to continuing it in 2018 and beyond. And we will see you in two weeks. 